The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. I mean, there's nothing like, like having, having babies laugh. If you can get that, Victor, you can just interrupt me. But uh, I will tell you some other things that, that make me laugh. Sometimes just watching people laugh like was playing on the screen as you guys were sharing what makes you laugh can make me laugh. Or just hearing other people laugh, you know, makes you laugh. I think of my, my coworker Becky. She, she has kind of a unique laugh where, where she just laughs once. She just goes, ha! Yeah. And then usually that gets me up from my chair to go and see whatever it is that she's making fun of because that's usually what she's doing. Or, or one, of, one of our student leaders, uh, uh, kind of an interesting guy named Justin. Perhaps you've, <laughs> perhaps you've seen him roller skating down 16th. He does that every now and then. He has kind of this emphysemic type of monthly laugh where he's just like... <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps you have those friends that laugh, and when they laugh... Uh, they, there's absolutely no sound that comes out. I have this this one friend that that her her face kind of gets distorted. She she, she just kind of goes, and then she she just starts shaking. She's just like, <laughs> you know. And then and then another friend who when when he starts laughing, he's trying to suppress the laughter. His shoulders just move. So I'll see him from behind, and he's just like. There's lots of things that can make us laugh and, and lots of different ways that it happens. I have to tell you, yeah, like this. <laughs> That's good. I have a one-year-old son at home that, that in the most random times when, when he laughs, I have no idea what he's laughing at, but it makes me laugh. Another time that Carson and I were laughing together was a few weeks ago. I know many of you perhaps shared this experience. It was down at Husky Stadium, and we were in a 13-13 tie with USC in the fourth quarter. And I've been a season ticket holder, and last year, an 0-12 season, living through that. So when we converted on third and long to get the ball over midfield, I found myself screaming, jumping up and down, yelling, and, and even as I was, was there almost kind of crying, I was laughing as I was holding hands with another man in this moment. <laughs> you know, that, that being my former boss, Mike Gaffney, we were just so, it was, it was all of these emotions at once that were coming to the fore as we were in, involved in the, the final moments of this game against USC. And all those emotions, including laughter, coming up when you recognize the big surprise is likely going to happen. And after 0-12 season, man, it just felt so good. And all of, all of these emotions uh, coming to the fore with this big surprise. And I, and I bring that up because we are going to look a little bit at, at laughter as we see it in Scripture tonight. And to use this to say... There's usually a degree of surprise involved. As my former boss here at UPC like to say that, that you laugh in that moment of, of recognized incongruity. Where the things that you are usually used to don't seem to be adding up. That's why we laugh when we see somebody laughing strangely or we see somebody roller skating down 16th. 
It's just not something you see every day. Sometimes, sometimes all it takes is, is the, the weird way or the funny way that somebody looked. It kind of a guilty pleasure of mine is that I just look at somebody like Dave Chappelle and I start laughing. Dave Chappelle, the comedian. And, and he didn't even have to say anything. I just, I just see his image and it makes me laugh. So tonight we are going to look at some, at, at how this laughter can sometimes expose what we expect and what we don't expect, and in this case, even how that laughter can show us our expectations within our faith. So before we continue tonight, I, I do want to stop and say, uh, introduce myself. I recognize there's a lot of new people here this week, and uh, so my name's Ryan Church. Not only am I an avid dogs fan, I'm a pastor here at UPC, and totally excited that you're here. And we started last week a series uh, that we're calling Doubters Anonymous, where we're looking at at how Scripture, uh, the Bible, shows us a life of living in faith over certainty, where doubts can actually lead us into a greater commitment to faith. Uh, They don't have to be this bad thing, but rather they can be the springboard that leads us to greater growth in our faith. So what we're not doing here is this apologetic series where I'm going to somehow, over the next 10 weeks, prove to you with empirical evidence the existence of God. Though, if you are someone that really craves to have a better grasp of some of the great reasons of the Christian faith, uh, we have a guy uh, around the inn here, a guy named Dwayne Morris, that this is his gift, and he has thought, thought through these things. Dwayne, are you around here? You over there? See, that's Dwayne. He's got a table, yeah, he's, uh, he deserves a round of applause because he's impacted some lives, but there are great reasons for the Christian faith that it's founded on, and if you want to explore some of those, Dwayne is a guy to talk to, but what we're going to be doing here at the end is looking more at how our doubts can lead us in greater pursuit in relationship to God. That, that they are, we don't, we don't have to ignore our doubts, but rather uh, we can seek growth in our faith, not in spite of our doubts, but rather because of them. So tonight we continue and we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible and see how we are connected to a legacy of doubt that exists throughout the entirety of the Holy Bible. And so I think it's going to be a really exciting journey that we're going to continue tonight. But before we do that... Let's stop and pray together for a moment. Lord, I pray that you would be our teacher, that the doubts that we bring tonight, the uncertainties, the questions, uh, the chaos, the mystery of our lives, Lord, that they might, uh, they might catapult us into knowing more of who you are, that we might get a greater taste of, of your, uh, your grace of your reality in our lives. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, as we look at all of Scripture over the next ten weeks, I want to remind you that a little bit about what the Bible is. And that the temptation that we have sometimes to reduce it to a sort of divine guidebook that teaches us how to be good people. But like Blair was saying in, in her testimony with her core group up here today, that we can make this thing more than just a, a series of verses. But rather, it is the story of God and primarily the story of God 
interacting in relationship with people. That's what the Bible is all about. It is primarily the story of God. More than it tells us exactly what to do. And it's a story of God in relationship to people and a lot of people who had doubts. Who are wondering, is this really God? Is God really going to make good on these promises that seem pretty doggone lofty? That's what the Bible is about. And so we're going to try and enter into these stories that we, that we might better understand this legacy that we're a part of. And I think it's a really exciting one. To help us get a, a clearer picture of where we're going tonight, and I think for the whole series, we're going to start tonight by looking uh, in the New Testament before we spend most of our time in the Old Testament. So we'll start in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, um, in the first and second verse. They give us a, a, a little bit of a thesis for what, where we're headed tonight. When it says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Uh, for those of you, maybe you, you have heard me talk about we're called to faith over certainty and you're thinking about this passage. Well, aren't we called to certainty? Let's do, I'm going to dive into this just a little bit before we get started tonight. First off, with this verse, there, is, there are as many different translations to this as there are versions of the Bible. But two things about this section that I want you to know about. First, the phrase that is translated being sure in biblical Greek has a lot more to do with standing on something firm. Think about standing on this, this firm foundation, something that can bear your weight, something that is sturdy, something that is underneath you. And then the word that is used uh, for certain might be better translated conviction. Okay, so standing on something underneath you that you can have conviction about even though you're unable to see it. We find conviction about what we are unable to fully understand. You see, seeing uh, and believing in biblical Greek often go, or seeing and understanding often go together. So the way that I might paraphrase this would be to say that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is stand firm on a foundation of hope with conviction about what you can't fully understand. You see, our great hope is rooted in these stories that we, that we hear of God interacting with people and interacting with people that questioned and doubted. So as the writer of Hebrews is giving this encouragement, he's giving it to people that are, are living in some different difficult situations and, in fact, are experiencing some great doubt. So he's trying to encourage them, stand on this foundation that you know that can hold your weight, this foundation, this great hope that you have. I'll share more about this later, but so much of my faith is rooted in this sense of, Lord, I hope it's true. Don't you hope these stories that we are going to hear about are true? And when you say, man, I hope that that's where it has. Move forth with conviction, even though you don't fully understand it. That's the encouragement of Hebrews. And that's an encouragement for us as we go all the way back and look at this guy named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Now, Abraham is one of the first people that is in relationship with God at the front end of the book of Genesis near the very beginning of the Bible. 
God's great promise to Abraham is that his descendants would become the nation, the, the, a great nation, the nation of Israel, and all the people of the world would be blessed through him. God was very direct in speaking with both Abraham and Sarah, but they still had great doubts. And I believe we're going to see some of those doubts as we look tonight. But Hebrew 11 gives us the abstract of the faith that they were commended for. It says this, starting in verse 8. By faith, and remember what we're talking about here is, by a foundation of hope and conviction of even things that they never saw, Abraham, when called to go back to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith... He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. That's a key phrase right here. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, uh, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children as she considered him faithful who had made the promise. There it is, that same promise referenced earlier. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, that is, he didn't see any of the the fruits of his labor, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Wow. Great faith involved in that for sure. Great faith in this promise. And what this promise is, it's a promise, if you want to check it out in your own Bible, at the beginning of Genesis 12, where Abraham is promised that he will be given this land and that he will be blessed to be a blessing and all the people of the world will be blessed through him. It's a foundational verse to understanding the entirety of Scripture. It is a gigantic promise. Your descendants will be as numerous as... The sand uh, is the stars in the sky and countless is the sand on the seashore. Isn't that a crazy, crazy promise? Would you doubt it? Would you doubt it? Abraham and Sarah had some great doubt in the midst of it. Yet we hear already in Hebrews that they were celebrated for that faith. So let me, let me begin to tell you a little bit more of this story. As, as Hebrews 11 noted, uh, Abraham and Sarah were past childbearing age, and as they were getting a little bit older, yet they knew this promise. They started going, man, how is this going to be? I'm a little anxious because we're getting a little bit older, beginning to doubt if this is going to happen. So they get in cahoots and try to come up with a shortcut, kind of try to come up with a way that this is going to work. So they decide that Abraham is going to uh, spend a night with his wife's slave girl. Now, this, uh, this is a, an interesting development here. Uh, they're trying to find that shortcut. And honestly, as their angst begins to grow, I feel like this is something that I might do. Okay, not like hang out with my wife's slave girl or anything like that. <laughs> but... There's something to what's happening here that I really identify with in my own faith. And it's this. And my guess is that I'm not the only one in the room that experiences this. Where you are faithfully seeking God on something. You know, perhaps it's trying to figure out 
what you're going to do in a major, uh, how you're going to spend your summer. And you earnestly seek God in discernment with that. Perhaps you even talk uh, to your community. And finally, at some point, perhaps all along the way, you find yourself praying. And as you pray, you, you begin to get excited. You feel like God is doing something, but you say amen and then immediately go about constructing an answer to that which you just prayed. No waiting for God to answer it. No waiting for discernment. But you immediately go about constructing an answer to that which you just prayed. In some ways, that's what Abraham and Sarah are doing here. That they, they know that God is in this. And they trust, they want to believe in this promise. But where are you in this, Lord? We're going to go and construct fulfillment to this promise on our own. Do you do that? Do you ever have that moment of saying amen and immediately go about constructing an answer to what you just prayed? Friends, I would argue that that's a form of doubt where we simply are unable to grasp that God might make good on His promise and on His plan. It's key for us to know that Abraham and Sarah were looking for this type of shortcut as we get into chapter 17 and 18, which is where we're going to spend most of our, our time tonight, as God once again appears to Abraham in this type of, of divine deal or no deal. And it begins with God again saying this uh, in chapter 17, verse 3. My covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And then this series of things that God says that he will do. He says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. I will give an everlasting possession. I will be their God. What would you do if those promises were made to you directly from God? Would you doubt? Would you doubt that if somebody was saying this to you, that they could make good on that promise? If you did doubt, I wouldn't blame you. Following this, God says, is part of this covenant. God shows his part of the deal. Then he says, here's your part. You will bear the mark as my people in Genesis 17, verses 9 to 14. For each male that is, uh, there will be the mark of circumcision, the mark that says that you are mine. A little bit of an aside here. For me, this is one place where there is empirical evidence that this is not a man-made religion because any man that is going to come up with this as an idea of a mark of a covenant is crazy. And I don't think there's a man out there that would ever imagine this as the mark. Perhaps this is one of those things that you could say, okay, God must be in this because this is crazy talk. (laughs) You know, I feel like in all this talk of barrenness and circumcision, we're spending a lot of time below the belt, so try and keep it out of the gutter here. (laughs) What would you do if this covenant was made to you? I will be your God and you will bear the mark as my people. Would you doubt? This is a gigantic promise. Huge. 
If you doubted, I'm not sure I'd blame you. We continue in chapter 17 as we get into the bulk of what we're going to look at tonight. Chapter 17, beginning with verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are to no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I've been referring to her as Sarah the whole time. Same person. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to, him, he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. You see, Ishmael was the son that was conceived after uh, his night with the servant girl, a woman named, named Hagar. So Abraham offers up an alternative to, to what might be going on here. What would you do? After you heard all of these promises from God, I would love to think that I would have been different than Abraham. That I would have been different than falling down and rolling on the floor laughing and then maybe suggesting to God an alternative. But what Abraham did, and I think it's actually pretty appropriate, is laugh and question and acknowledge, I'm not sure I get this. Even after he said, or after he heard God say, I will do this. You don't have to. I will. Yet, there's doubt. Now, Abraham is not alone in his laughter. We pick up the story a chapter later in chapter 19 of Genesis, where again the Lord has come to have a little chat with Abraham in chapter 18. Uh, and he says this, beginning at the 10th verse. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself and thought, after I am worn out and my Lord... That is her husband. My Lord is old. Will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, Oh, yes. You did laugh. (laughs) Yes, Sarah did laugh. And the reaction, friends, is founded. Put this in your head. This is a woman that has gotten... Think about about somebody telling your grandmother, you're going to have another baby. And it's it's not going to be a grandchild. It will be yours. It's absurd. It's, It's okay that you would laugh. The reaction that Sarah has is founded. Yet we can't deny that she is hearing from the Lord. And her only response is laughter as she is covered in doubt. And how could this possibly happen? The surprise is that God 
even through these chapters, even through, through going down to Egypt and lying, and through sleeping with the slave girl, God is still with them. And they are still with God, and they are still engaging, and laughing in His face amidst their doubt. Does it get any more honest and authentic and real as that? People coming when they can't grasp it and saying, <laughs> I don't get it. Now, to try and, and summarize what uh, was going on here, I, I couldn't help but have this image as I studied these two chapters and went back and forth from chapters 17 and 18. And there was this, this chat dialogue, like, like if Abraham and Sarah might have been texting each other from these two chapters. So this is not in all, at all canonical here, but bear with me because this is how this whole thing played out in my head. Started with, think about Abraham texting saying, hey... Sarah responding, saying, where are you? Uh, For your information, the Lord showed up again today. Oh, my goodness. What did did God say anything new? Well, uh, for what it's worth, God says that you are going to have a child (laughs) rolling on the floor laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing out loud. So what'd you do? I I ruffled. In my humble opinion, maybe we should just take what we got from that fat night with Hagar and go with that. Uh, I don't know. God, I said that, and God likes Ishmael, but he says it has to be you. Whatever. God said this stuff for years. Me, having a baby equals not safe for work. In real life... It never happens like this. <laughs> Laugh out loud later. <laughs> what I think we have here are two people that have serious doubts that all they can do is laugh with, yet their great hope remains intact. Friends, this is my story. That as as I have journeyed and continued on in this thing called the Christian faith, in all of these big, hairy, audacious, absurd promises, I look at them and go, Lord, I hope, I hope, hope, hope it's true. I hope so much because I have looked and I cannot find anything better out there. And so I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket that is Jesus Christ because these stories are the best hope that I have. And even as there seems to be so much that that contradicts the fact that these stories could be real or could be true, I challenge you to find a better hope. Because as I follow up on where my doubt might lead me, might lead me in this, it just seems that this basket that all my eggs are in gets sturdier and stronger. Even as I start to question, is this the right basket to have all my eggs in? And one of the ways that we can do that is identify the places where we are tempted to laugh at the promises of God because maybe those promises are bigger than we think. And more true than we give them credit for. So what does Abraham and Sarah's laughter 
tell us? Quite simply, Abraham and Sarah doubted the plan, but they stayed faithful to the promise of God's faithfulness. They doubted the plan, but they stayed faithful to the hope of God's faithfulness. They doubted the plan because they were scared, and the plan was frankly quite inefficient. Understandably, they had they devised a way that would take the fear and inefficiencies out of this in trying to create some sort of shortcut to fulfilling the promises that God said that He Himself would fulfill. I think about uh, those times when I'm sitting in traffic. Or perhaps even worse, I'm sitting in traffic and I'm not the driver and I find myself sitting there questioning the driver's every lane change or lack thereof. Questioning if the driver should have, have exited at the last place and taken one of the back roads because I'm one of those guys that more than sitting in the stop and go traffic on an interstate, I would be more, more willing to try and get off the ramp and go someplace where I can keep moving, even if it ultimately ends up being a little bit slower. There's something about this idea of, doesn't it feel better to keep moving? And doesn't that feel like progress? And isn't this going the right direction? Even though it might not be that much more efficient, I'm tempted to find the shortcut. Where else do we do this? In our lives, what are the shortcuts that we look to take? Do we really invest in knowledge and read the whole book, or do we go straight to Wikipedia? Do you trust God in romance, or are you a serial dater that does everything they can to avoid the possibility of loneliness? Are you worried that if God doesn't deliver a spouse in college, that he won't deliver a spouse? Do you exercise or do you take diet pills? Do you want to really get in shape or do you just need it now? Are you looking for the shortcut? Sometimes blessing is inefficient. Sometimes the promise of God and their fulfillment is slow and inefficient. In the same way that actually acquiring knowledge in what you're doing at the schools that you're attending, actually takes time. That the promises of God and reconciling all things unto himself in this thing that we call the kingdom of God and doing it in individual relationships is incredibly slow and inefficient. Yet that is what the promise is. Abraham, I will, and you will bear the mark. God's plan is for a kingdom that is without end. It is a kingdom that is not in a hurry or super concerned with efficiencies. God's plan is to not only be in that given moment, that given moment where we want something, we want to see these things happen, but he transcends that moment as well. And when it's not delivered in the way we want, we get anxious. God shows his faithfulness But not merely for a moment. He shows it for the long haul. They doubted the plan, but they stayed faithful to the promise and they did it with laughter. There is something so authentic in the way that Abraham and Sarah responded to God throughout this narrative. 
Sarah's laugh is so authentic, in fact, that she has to back off it later. And in fact, she lies to God. And when questioned about it, she actually laughed. These are people that legitimately laughed in the face of God as if to say, your plan to bless all the world through our descendants is great, but we're old. It's a good idea, and we're on board. But your plan sucks. I love that Abraham and Sarah were so committed to the promise that they actually thought about ways to bring this about. They expressed their doubt in God's ability to do it in the way that they laughed and they did it right in front of God. The end of the story, as some of you may know, is that Abraham and Sarah eventually experienced this very specific act of God's faithfulness, but they were very old when they did. Genesis 21.6 can continues and, and concludes this part of the story in saying that, that Sarah said that God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who? Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Only a God who knows that he can deliver on his promises, would say that. Friends, let's allow our laughter to show us where we doubt that in that moment, we might look at how we can trust the gigantic promises of God even more and how maybe in that moment, our laughter shows us the ways that we are trying to find a shortcut. So let us be people that laugh at ourselves, that, not take, that, that don't take ourselves so seriously, but that begin to put our weight, begin to stand on this foundation of our hope that is found in the one who is able to do more than we could ask or even imagine in this relationship that was initiated with Abraham and has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, your promise to us that you will be with us always, even to the end of the age, is one that we discount. And one, Lord, that we might even be tempted to laugh at. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, show us uh, how the, the, the height and depth and breadth of your promises uh, that, we, uh, that we could know you more, that we could trust you more. Lord, that you would be constantly redeeming our doubt and that you, Lord, would make yourself uh, real to us even when your plans are so much different than ours, Lord. For we know uh, that... Uh, Our thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not our ways. Lord, bless us uh, as we continue in worship. We are grateful for all you've done for us in Christ's name. Amen.